In a world where uncertainty reigns supreme, where shadows of chaos dance at every turn, one truth emerges unyielding. Preparation is not a luxury, but a lifeline. Behold the Wellness Company, a beacon of readiness amidst the tempestuous seas of fate. Envision a sanctuary of tranquility, where the tumult of unforeseen medical crises finds no purchase. The Wellness Company's Medical Emergency Kit stands as a bastion of assurance, a fortress of resilience against the unseen foes of health. Within its sacred confines lie the tools of salvation. Ivermectin, to ward off the insidious whispers of disease. Emergency antibiotics, to quell the raging storms of infection. Antivirals, to vanquish the relentless tides of contagion and more. The Wellness Company Medical Emergency Kit is not merely a collection of supplies. It is the embodiment of preparedness itself. Crafted by the hands of esteemed healers led by luminaries such as Dr. Peter McCullough, Dr. James Thorpe, Dr. Harvey Risch, and Dr. Drew Pinsky, this kit stands as the pinnacle of safety, the zenith of prevention. These truth-seeking doctors have forged a testament to vigilance, a testament to the unwavering pursuit of well-being. Embrace the certainty that comes from being armed against adversity. Embrace the Wellness Company, for in its embrace lies the promise of resilience, the promise of a brighter tomorrow amidst the chaos of today. Don't wait for the next crisis to strike. Visit twc.health forward slash strange planet and use promo code strange planet for an exclusive 10% discount. Prepare today and rest easy tomorrow. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We all enjoy a little mystery. Every other week, One Strange Thing presents forgotten stories from America's newspaper archives. They all have something in common, a single element that can't quite be explained. Join us on One Strange Thing, and you'll hear about a man who was literally stricken with genius. A 21st century child who remembered piloting a World War II bomber a mysterious, unidentifiable blob in Texas. And then there was the lizard man stalking through small-town South Carolina. From cryptids and disappearances to modern-day miracles, one strange thing brings you stories that are very real and just a little otherworldly. Subscribe now, wherever you listen. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a retired British police officer discusses his database, which documents police sightings of UFOs. There were three police vehicles and three police officers uh, chatting in a rural location. And then suddenly, way off on the horizon, they saw a bright flash. But it was so brief, they couldn't make out what it was, and they kind of just dismissed it, carried on talking. However, five minutes later, according to the police officers, suddenly an object appeared. Now, we're not talking it arrived. It didn't move closer towards them. It just 
in the blink of an eye, like turning on a light bulb, appeared in front of them. This object was totally silent, but here's the thing. It was the size of a football field. It was about 500 meters away from them, and it appeared to be scanning a beam down to the ground as if it was studying the terrain. But what makes it even more bizarre is that there were six smaller objects flying around the outside of the larger object, akin to a mothership with six smaller objects. This podcast is supported by Paranormal Contractors, a division of crime and trauma scene cleaners. If you have unwanted paranormal activity in your home or business, it's time to bring in the professionals. Call 1-866-724-0800. 1-866-724-0800. Paranormal Contractors uses state-of-the-art technology to investigate, authenticate, and remediate your ghost or demon problem. Check out their YouTube channel, Paranormal Contractors, for things that go bump in the night. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Wednesday. Noted British ufologist and the editor of UFO Truth magazine, Gary Hesseltine, is standing by to discuss PRUFOs, Police Reporting UFO Sightings Database. Welcome to your Wednesday. Well, another day spent shoveling. We had about uh, 10, maybe 15 centimeters here overnight, added to what we had the previous day. Uh, That dreaded polar vortex is set to arrive bringing temperatures as low as minus 54 degrees Celsius to the U.S. Midwest. In other words, back to the kind of winters I remember as a kid. This is not extreme weather brought about by man-made climate change. It's called January in the Northern Hemisphere, folks. I I was recently watching a documentary on the House of Windsor during the reign of King George VI, and uh, they were discussing the devastating winter of 1947 that gripped Great Britain. There were food shortages and fuel shortages and power outages and tons and tons of snow. So this is not new. Someone who takes exception uh, to my views on climate change emailed me recently and was writing in all caps, in other words, shouting, uh, don't you know they have snow in New Mexico? How can you say climate change is not real? We're experiencing major snowfalls in New Mexico. This is not normal. This is man-made. No. Actually, snow in New Mexico is quite normal. I know families that take winter vacations in New Mexico to go, wait for it, skiing. All right, let's move on to other matters. Gary Hesseltine served in the RAF police between 1983 and 1989 before spending a 24-year career in the British Transport Police. He was a home office-trained detective constable for 18 years working on all manner of inquiries, including murder, manslaughter, and rape. He was an advanced police interviewer of witnesses and suspects. He also was involved in the London bombings inquiry as a specialist interviewer 
of first responding police officers. In January 2002, whilst still serving as a police officer, he launched an unofficial national database for police officers reporting UFO sightings. In 2013, he retired from the police force to launch UFO Truth magazine. Gary Hesseltine, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me as a guest on your show. My pleasure. So much going on, so much to talk about. For those not familiar with your amazing police reporting UFO database, tell us about Proofos. Um, For those that aren't aware of me, uh, I was a former police officer for almost 24 years, uh, the last 19 years of which uh, as a a uh, detective constable working on murder, manslaughter, rape. I was an advanced interviewer of suspects and witnesses. Um, I, had, I had a long career in the police. However, in 2002, um, I decided to do something a bit unusual. Uh, I created an unofficial national database for British police officers to uh, record, collect, British police officer UFO sightings, which was called the Proof Force Police Database. Proof Force standing for police reporting UFOs. And uh, I began with six cases involving around uh, 12 police officers. And now in 2018, I have over 450 cases going back to 1901 involving over uh, 1100, 1100. British police officers. So that's how I began to become known in the UFO community. One of the things that I didn't anticipate when I launched the database was that um, the UFO community would then ask me to do uh, lectures, radio shows, that kind of thing. So the media side took off in a way that I could have never foreseen. And now I kind of lecture all around the world on it. And uh, I'm very, I consider myself very fortunate. I retired uh, early from the police in 2013 um, because by that stage I really wanted to become a full-time ufologist and uh, I decided to retire early to create an online uh, e-zine called UFO Truth magazine Um, and the idea is to create an English-speaking platform featuring many of the top researchers from around the world all under one banner as it were the the ufo truth magazine banner so i mean who has not written for the magazine people like uh, uh, who's who has written stanton columnist uh, stanton friedman has just retired after two years of being a regular columnist uh, current columnists are um, uh, nick redfern obviously well-known prolific author uh, you've got Susan Hansen, who's the top researcher in New Zealand. Uh, you've got Bill Chalk, the top researcher in Australia. I've tried to kind of go to the continents, uh, top people in Europe, to try to get a flavour of the best in the world. But, I mean, occasional columnists, uh, uh, things like uh, Grant Cameron. Uh, you've got Richard Dolan. Uh, Robert Salas has a feature in the past, even even uh, kind of ancient alien lost technologies. Uh, we've had NASA Harriman in there. We've had Graham Hancock in there. We've even had Eric Von Daniken in the magazine, uh, and and one and one uh, uh, astronaut, which was uh, Edgar Mitchell, just ah. 
Well, it's it's. So we, it's we've read a lot of people. Uh, it's bi-monthly, ninety-six pages, and I'll I'll actually say this for any of your readers: uh, if you want to get a free complimentary copy, all they have to do is email me at heseltinegarry at hotmail com, and I'm sure you'll put out the links after the show. Yes. Uh, then they can request on. All they have to do is say, "Listen to the uh, the Cyrus show," and there you go. Well, it's it's uh, becoming, or if not already, the the UFO magazine of record, and and it's a who's who of uh, you know everybody that's anybody in in ufology. Uh, I just want to go back to the uh, to Prufos for a moment and ask you um, what makes a a police. Uh, witness sighting of a UFO different? How, in other words, how do they uh, describe their sightings and how does that differ from uh, an, an ordinary citizen? Well, what you have with a police officer, let's start off uh, on, a, on a kind of common sense point of view. Are they infallible? Of course not. They can make mistakes uh, with sightings like anybody else can. However, there is a significance uh, with regards to a police officer. And, and what I mean by that is uh, when a police officer joins the job, as it were, you are taught on how to deal with a scene. And what I mean by a scene is uh, you've responded to some kind of event, whether it be a burglary, a stabbing or whatever. And what you are trained to do is record in a chronological, logical manner, time, date, place, what you saw, what you heard, what you smelt, that kind of thing. And the reason why you, you were taught that is because you are going to have to relay that information in a court of law, potentially. And the courts have a kind of a set um, way of doing things. So your statements are written up in a certain way. And it's all about getting as much information in a chronological sequence. So that becomes ingrained into you. So whilst police officers are human beings and can make mistakes, they have had some kind of training on how to deal with an event. Now, obviously, a UFO event, especially if it was a close proximity UFO event, can have profound effect on the way you react, etc. But largely, um, in terms of sightings, the vast majority record things in that kind of way. So you have a structure. So they'll make a mental note of the time. They'll look at duration. They'll give good descriptions because they, they're used to taking descriptions. They'll make a note of elevations of the sky. Estimates are better than normal people for ele uh, distances and things like that because they're used to doing it. So uh, I would say... Uh, that they, they're a good source of accurate sightings. And especially that becomes relevant when you have multiple police sightings uh, where, uh, for example, you can have a sighting in the countryside and you can have maybe four or five police officers in five different vehicles all looking at an object from five different geographical positions now if they are all saying that they're looking at the same object and they're all describing it in the same way as far as i'm concerned that's great evidence uh, to say that there was an object in the sky now you can always then debate what the object was later but was there something there uh, confirmed that they were looking at when you get those kind of multiple witness sightings then that's very good evidence in my in my opinion 
Overwhelmed by investing? If you're anything like us, the hardest part is getting started. That's why we created the Investing for Beginners podcast. Our goal is to help simplify money so it can work for you. We invite guests to demystify investing. At least try to be setting aside like the minimum 10% into the 401k. We'll teach you the basics of the market. Yeah, I think compound interest should be at the start of any discussion about investing. And We've had investment professionals who teach in a simple way. A valuation-driven bear market. You know, we, we haven't really seen yet, and I think everyone's thinking about it, but we haven't really seen yet. Our Q&A episodes feature questions from listeners just like you. So what do you think about the situation with ETBI, which is Activision? I'm Dave Ahern. And I'm Andrew Sather. And we hope you join us on the Investing for Beginners podcast. On the Investing for Beginners podcast. Do you want to know what it's like to hang out with MS-13 in El Salvador? How the Russian mafia fought battles all over Brooklyn in the 1990s. Or what about that time I got lost in the Burmese jungle hunting the world's biggest meth lab? Or why the Japanese Yakuza have all those crazy dragon tattoos? I'm Sean Williams. And I'm Danny Gold. And we're the hosts of the Underworld Podcast. We're journalists that have traveled all over, reporting on dangerous people and places. And every week, we'll be bringing you a new story about organized crime from all over the world. We know this stuff because we've been there. We've seen it. And we've got the near misses and embarrassing tales to go with it. We'll mix in reporting with our own experiences in the field, and we'll throw in some bad jokes while we're at it. The Underworld Podcast explores the criminal underworlds that affect all of our lives, whether we know it or not. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Have you ever wondered what it's like to be buried in an avalanche? Weird foreign feeling of despair. Or how it feels to crash a skydive? I remember hearing a thud, feeling my body hit the ground. Or how you would react if you were being attacked by an alligator? At the end of my leg is this huge alligator head on my leg. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a victim of an attack. Dragging me into the bathroom and saying, I'm going to kill you, now you're going to die. You'll hear from a man who discovered a baby. How could this be? How could there be a baby on the ground? And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Clinky County 911. There's a man at my back door. He's trying to get in. What Was That Like is a podcast about real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at What Was That Like. Dot com. Would the uh, description or the uh, the method of reporting on Prufos uh, be identical to the the method of reporting or, or making an official police report? And do they make an official police report? Well, that's an interesting topic because um, for many years, it. it, it when, uh, if you looked historically at, say, the 1960s, 70s, 80s, most towns, villages had small little police stations. However, as uh, time has gone on, these have now been replaced by big, huge police stations, and a lot of towns now don't have, or smaller towns don't have police stations. They have big regional police stations. So the makeup is different. And so historically, if somebody rang up the local police station, say in the 1970s, it went through to a small control room and it might just be someone on shift. 
it's your turn to be in the control room. I.e., it, it only served a small geographical area of police officers uh, and, and uh, you know, population. So you could make a phone call to a police station in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and uh, it very much depended on the attitude of the policeman or police lady that you spoke to. If they were open to the idea, then they might listen to you. Uh, if if they had a closed mind to UFOs, then they'd probably think you were crazy and put the phone down. That's literally how haphazard it was. Uh, however, as time went on, and the 90s and beyond, and the big police stations, control rooms taking over, then uh, there wasn't like a more standardized way of reporting things. But historically, in the UK, uh, the uh, Ministry of Defence were the key to uh, to all police, all to all sightings in the UK, because they ran a, a police reporting for uh, a MOD desk for about 50, 52, 53 years, and basically what would happen is that if a call was received in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond, they would get, uh, they would complete a memo. Or, a, or in the old days, telex uh, information on, on what was a standard Ministry of Defence form that was then either phoned through to the Ministry of Defence or invariably faxed or telexed in days of old to the uh, Ministry of Defence, who would then decide whether they needed to respond or not. Now, that's the way it was. However, there was a big significant change uh, relatively recently, in December of 2009, when after 50-odd years, the Ministry of Defence suddenly decided, without any kind of uh, prior dialogue or, or warning, to close the MOD reporting facility. And the reason why they said they were closing it was to save money, so they said. However, at the time they closed it, sightings were really peaking at a, uh, like a, a five or ten year high. So it seemed ironic and reading between the lines, people were using the Freedom of Information Act in the UK to uh, ask for information that then became quite laborious for the Ministry of Defence to dig out all the information. So I think reading between the lines, a bit like Project Blue Book, which was only ever a public relations information desk. It was not the real investigations. I think the same was with the MOD, and I think that the MOD wanted to get rid of the uh, uh, UFO problem, if there was one, in their eyes, to stop giving out information, to stop getting bogged down in FOI requests. So they suddenly closed it and, and said arbitrarily that it was down to money-saving reasons. But I don't believe that, and I don't think anybody seriously believes that. And why would you close it down when you're having a five- to ten-year peak in sighting reports? So it doesn't make sense. As the database continues to grow, I'm, I'm sure this is a difficult question. You've been asked many times, but do you have, uh, could you share uh, perhaps one of the more dramatic uh, police reports of a UFO sighting? Well, uh, there, there, are, there are, like I say, there is like 450, but uh, there are obviously a few that I regard as personal favorites. Um, one of them, as, a, as an, an example, uh, was where 
a, uh, a uniformed police officer contacted me to relate a series of what was three sightings that he's had during his his career. He changed from one police force to another because in England, uh, based on regional areas, counties as they say in England, uh, not the full national country as it were. Um, so one of those uh, involved a police officer who went to a lo rural location not too far from London, uh, probably about 50 miles away from the centre of London. Uh, it was early morning, two or three in the morning, and he met up with two other police cars uh, that had uh, one police officer in each. So there were three police vehicles and three police officers uh, chatting in a rural location. And then suddenly, uh, way off on the horizon, they saw a bright flash, low on the horizon, but it was so brief, they couldn't make out what it was, and they kind of just dismissed it, carried on talking. However, five minutes later, according to the police officers, suddenly an object appeared. Now, we're not talking it arrived uh, in a conventional sense. It didn't move closer towards them. It just, in the blink of an eye, like turning on a light bulb, appeared in front of them. Now, this object was totally silent, but here's the thing. It was the size of a football field. It was about 500 metres away from them. At a, in terms of uh, altitude, only at about 500 feet. Uh, it made no noise. It was huge. And it was appeared to be scanning a beam down to the ground as if it was studying the terrain, uh, slowly moving from left to right. Absolutely no noise. But what makes it even more bizarre is that there were six smaller objects flying around the outside of the larger object, akin to a mothership with six smaller objects. And again, no noise. And this object just appeared. They debated whether to ring it in, but in the end thought, no, they're going to think we're crazy, uh, which is not surprising because they probably would have been regarded as crazy. Uh, and then they watched it for about five minutes. And then again, it didn't leave left, right, or up. It just, light bulb, gone. Now, how do you, you know, rationalize such an amazing event as that? I interviewed uh, the main source at length, uh, met with him, and this guy was absolutely straight as anything. And you could tell, I could tell within minutes of speaking initially on the phone that he was still traumatized by it, as many police officers are as members of the public are when they see something as close as that that is truly profound so uh, that's kind of the cases that you get so there are many multiple police cases uh, another one actually not far from where i live uh, involved a what was estimated to be a 200 uh, foot so we're talking uh, 70 meters shall we say 60 70 meter long a tube-like object, cylindrical object, that was motionless next to a large TV mast, which is like a uh, television mast that's about 500 feet high. It's a well-known landmark in the West Yorkshire area. And one of the police officers saw it just hovering next to the top of it. And then uh, several other police officers, when he radioed over, I'm looking at this strange object, uh, uh, about six other police officers in the area, some in pairs, some singularly in police cars, all verified that they were looking at an object next to the mast 
and you know what have we got that can hover silently of those dimensions what have we got that don't have wings that can just hover there I mean these are fantastic sightings and the guy I was already aware of that um, through the release of the Freedom of Information Act MOD files but the names had been redacted well what happened was one of the police officers who actually was in my force had transferred from another force and he approached me and said you're the UFO guy do you want to hear about my sighting and he told me and I said I'm aware of this and he said how do you know that I says because I've got all the statements but I don't have the the, the actual names of the officers because they've been redacted and he said well I was that officer who gave that statement about the 200 foot object so you get these many kind of great uh, synchronicities that all link up and fantastic case uh, six seven officers involved a 200 foot cylindrical object motionless at five six hundred feet high just next to a television mast as if I think drawing some kind of energy that would be pulsing through that TV mast and uh, there's a long correlation historically wise uh, between UFOs and you know power outages being next to uh, uh, well, that's, that speaks to your own that speaks to your own personal uh, sighting as a, uh, as a, a lad on a bicycle T- tell me about that Absolutely. 16 years old uh, power outages caused by this strange light moved to a second geographical area which was about a mile away from where I'd originally been. Like you say, you mentioned my bicycle. I rode on my bicycle, went home, different location. The object came over my rooftop. I put my hand up for some reason, like I'm answering a question in class. And no sooner did the object go past my hand, and therefore I was then behind it, suddenly there's a power cut. That's ridiculous. How can anybody predict a power cut? So that's when I realized that that object must have interacted with the power grid and that's what kicked off my interest in the subject i i didn't have one up until then we know that commercial airline pilots uh in particular i'm thinking of the chicago o'hare uh sighting and and how they are uh cautioned or or warned or even threatened not to speak now uh, d- is that the same with police? Are they reticent? Do you suspect, for example, that you know the number of police sightings is is much much higher, but they are afraid to report on your database? Absolutely. Uh, um, the uh, uh, I've only ever touched the tip of an iceberg, um, and I've said that. I mean, sightings have slowed down, especially since I began the magazine, because the magazine has become much more the focus of my research and doing other things. Uh, but the sightings still do continue. But uh, I suspect, I don't know, maybe I've got 20% of all sightings out there. Uh, historically, that have collated through magazines and uh, newspaper reports, things like that. But it's only a tip of an iceberg. The t- two common things which apply to all professional people as to why they don't come forward including their ordinary members of the public is one a perceived uh, risk of uh, uh, affect their career um, and the other one is uh, they want to avoid ridicule now historically following the robertson panel um that's the world that we've lived in you know anybody born after 1953 uh, after the robertson panel has lived in a world of debunking where it became the norm to ridicule people who had sightings. So it's a very sad indictment on society that 
it's been allowed to continue and it's worked very well because generally unless you've got a specific interest in ufos most people if you say like i believe uh, in ufos as in et most people will look at you a bit strange even now um although i think things are beginning to change uh, but that's the way it's been and uh, uh, you know people military people i've had doctors approach me i've had uh, newspaper journalists who said i've seen things but i could never say anything um because it might risk my career pilots are the same pilots who in my opinion uh prove the ufo phenomenon is et uh, on their own as a category uh, if you look at the best pilot sightings from around the world uh, and if they don't know what they're looking at with all their expensive flight training, etc., may have come from military backgrounds, flying fighter jets. If they don't know what they're looking at, then there's a big problem. Uh, so I think they do know what they're looking at. They are familiar with sun dogs, temperature inversions, and those kind of things, atmospherics, uh, stars, meteors, that kind of thing. They're aware of all those things. So um, highly qualified people it was proved through the Battelle Institute report in the 1950s that the better the quality of the reporter, the better the quality of the report itself. And I, uh, and that's always uh, never really mentioned by the sceptics. They just try to say, well, anybody's fallible. And yes, of course, anybody is fallible. But in the high-caliber witness categories, the police, as I always say, police are kind of probably about eighth or ninth in that list. For me, it's the military pilots, the commercial pilots, uh, air traffic controllers, radar operators, sonar operators, those kind of people are above police officers, but nevertheless, they're, they're in those high-caliber witness categories, the percentage of error is much reduced. Now, I would even go so far as to say that, in my opinion, if you're a military fighter jet pilot with X thousands of hours, uh, and you have a UFO sighting report, then I'd give it in that category 90% accurate of all pilot reports. Every town has a dark side. This is Andrew Fitzgerald from the Every Town podcast, where every single week we dive into insane and mysterious true crime stories, most of which you've never heard of. Stories like the bizarre disappearance of Tyler Davis in Columbus, Ohio. A 29-year-old father trying to find his way back to his hotel when he disappeared and was never heard from again. And Elizabeth Shove from Lugoff, South Carolina, who was abducted from her driveway by a madman and taken to his underground bunker in the woods. And we give you all the details you're interested in hearing about without any fluff or fillers, because ain't nobody got time for that. We cover everything from psychopaths to poltergeists, so go check out the Everytown podcast, because every town no matter how nice it may seem, has a dark side. I'm Andrew Gold, a fallen BBC journalist interviewing the heretics and rebels brave enough to speak out against mainstream narratives. Here's Coleman Hughes, John Ronson, and the Trigonometry podcast guys bringing controversy to the fore. How do you feel if a person of a different race moved in next door? I spent a while with a politically correct faction of the Ku Klux Klan. 
The system punishes people for wrong think. It's heartbreaking. Here's My Unorthodox Life Netflix star Julia Hart on getting out of a Hasidic Jewish cult. Why can't I be okay with being silent and subservient? Everyone else is. And biologist Richard Dawkins on trans activism. It's perfectly legitimate to say, I'm a man, but I feel feminine. But to then say, therefore I am a woman, is just a betrayal of language. Now it's your turn. Rebel against the mainstream and find a home in this sensible alternative space by subscribing to Heretics Podcast. If you're a fan of this podcast or my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show, why not consider becoming a supporter? Go to patreon.com forward slash strange planet. That's right. We've changed the name of our Patreon page. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. And check out our three support tiers. The Truth Seeker tier, the Whistleblower tier, and the Star Chamber tier. Donors can receive access to an exclusive monthly Google Hangout on air or a monthly live chat with me. You can also be eligible for a monthly draw and a chance to win Conspiracy Show and Conspiracy Unlimited merch. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Patreon.com forward slash strange planet. Your support is greatly appreciated. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then, it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again, what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Gary Hesseltine, the editor of UFO Truth magazine, is here. We have to touch on uh, this new disclosure um, Chinese initiative. initiative. Yes, the Chinese initiative. You were invited to Moscow. Yes, yeah. Um, and this, uh, just again, this just comes completely out of the blue. Uh, in, I think it was September uh, of last year, uh, I suddenly get an invitation to go to Moscow. I've never been to Moscow, a place that I always wanted to go, incidentally, because of the Cold War connections and of my age group, etc. Checkpoint, you know, the, the, the kind of Cold War era and spies and everything. Fascinating to go. But anyway, that came up out of the blue, uh, and uh, it, it, the invitation came uh, via Donald Schmidt, the famous uh, Roswell researcher. Yes. He had recommended me uh, to go to Moscow. Uh, to be a UK representative, potential delegate, in what he said was this new Chinese disclosure initiative. So anyway, cutting a long story short, uh, I ended up going to Moscow, and it turned out there were nine of us representing nine different countries who met with the leader of the Chinese uh, UFO group, uh, and basically the idea is still ongoing, so I can't reveal too much, but it's still ongoing. The idea is that it's totally Chinese-funded, uh, in association with Russia, but it's Chinese funded fully, um, that the idea is to create a United Nations style forum uh, and uh, be recognized by UNESCO and the UN. Now, to be recognized as a world body, apparently you need 30 independent countries to have representatives who will sign a mandate to that effect that they're, they're, they're part of this group, uh, you then approach the UN, UNESCO, get recognized. 
as a world body. Now, the idea is to have every country in the world uh, and have a UFO expert in every country. Well, we know because of this subject matter that not every country has experts because of ridicule and whatever. But uh, there are, certainly in Europe and South America, there are many, many countries that do have leading experts. And so I am now heavily involved in uh, trying to recruit uh, as many potential uh, national delegates for this uh, mandate, initially 30 strong country mandate to get recognized. And what I can say is that we're about 27, 28 countries so far. So I think th this is going to happen sooner rather than later that we'll reach the 30. Uh, and I can I can also say that the, uh, the, the headquarters will be in China. So quite what that entails, I don't know. Uh, but we're, we're, we're busily trying to recruit 30 national representatives uh, so we can be a recognized world body. So who knows where that's going to go after that. Um, but that's the early stages. And I've always taken the attitude that, from my point of view, um, we should be and, uh, and have failed historically to become political uh, with the UFO uh, movement We've never been able to organize historically in the past. UFO groups, my groups, better than your group, couldn't work with each other, blah, blah, blah. We've never really had the impact on a world stage that we perhaps could have. And uh, so I think this is going to try to rectify that. And of course, as, it's, as, it's, as I said earlier, it kind of ties in uh, with the, uh, the Pentagon admissions from 2017. Things are changing. Uh, and more mainstream coverage, serious coverage. Uh, the, the Nimitz incident uh, has really high highlighted that. The videos, the tic-tac, um, absolutely brilliant. The commander, Commander Fravo coming forward, brilliant testimony saying that this is nothing like he has ever seen. He's a floor many aircraft, and he, what does he think it is? It's ET. Well, I think we should be listening to people like him. So I think we're on, I think times are changing, and there is just, a bit of a hint that the disclosure door, we all kind of dream of this big disclosure with a big D, but the Pentagon admissions, in my opinion, were disclosure with a small D. It was a very important step because the, pub, the press can never go back after that because they admitted, the Pentagon admitted that things were flying around in US airspace that were far beyond the uh, technical capabilities of anything that the Americans possessed all that of the Russians, Chinese, etc. So that was a big moment, and they can't go back on that. And we need to keep reminding the press of those admissions. Uh, and I think things are beginning to change. So how fast things will gather, I don't know. But I do think we're in uh, in a very interesting time, and I, I hope it leads to proper full disclosure, uh, because that's always been my dream. And I think to politicise it and come together as 30, um, initially 30 countries, will send powerful shockwaves, I think, politically, uh, that uh, you're going to have 30 people signing an oath that says, I believe that there is a, an ongoing ET interaction with planet Earth. Worse to that effect, uh, it's a bit longer than that, um, but we've never had that before. So we're all going to be on the same page. Every delegate will have to sign that oath that they believe this. So there's no skepticism in there. They are the, All the 30 national delegates are going to say, it's ET, it's ET. There is sufficient evidence through radar, pilots, blah, 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 to say that this is real and it's engaging planet Earth. So that will be a significant change. Uh, and we'll just wait and see what happens. But 
I want to see where this process goes. Hopefully, it will go a long way. That concludes part one of my two-part interview with Gary Hesseltine. Before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a flash to tell you a little bit about part two. This segment, sponsored by The Horrible Movie Podcast, available at iTunes and thehorriblemoviepodcast.com. Remember, just because it's from Hollywood doesn't mean it isn't horrible. Be sure to be listening Friday for part two of my conversation with UFO Truth Magazine editor Gary Hasseltine as he discusses his new investigation and documentary film on the Rendlesham Forest UFO incident. I'm getting trolled by the likes of Nick Pope, who we had always been affable up to that point, but now he says I should be arrested under the Fraud Act for bringing a hoax, perpetrating a hoax on the UFO community. Really? Why would I do that? Why would I risk my reputation? Just for money? There's no money. I'm not getting paid. We're all doing it independent. None of us are paid. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.